Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. I'm ready today for a really exciting conversation. Uh, most of you know by now that I'm a professor at uh, Teachers College, Columbia University, and I teach a course uh, entitled The Introduction to Leadership and Decision-Making. And so anytime I'm reading something about decision-making, I try to bring it here um, because so many of my students are so fascinated by the end of the course that decision-making really has some scientific principles to it. And so today I have someone who is an expert, a sought-after advisor to boards and senior executives, uh, someone who has helped uh, organizations make uh, strategic pivots and just is a recognized expert on governance and strategic decisions. Um, so I'm uh, happy to introduce to you uh, uh, Constance uh, Derricks. So welcome, Constance. Thank you so much, Brian. I am really excited to have this conversation, and I would love to sit in on your class sometime. Oh. Well, you, you would, uh, I'd love to have you co-teach it. How about that? <laughs> that would, uh, be, that would be a, that would be a blast. Let's do that it. That would be great. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to start out, tell me a little bit about yourself. I know that um, your background um, has been in uh, clinical psychology. And so tell me a little bit about, before we talk about your book, though, tell me about how mm-hmm. you got into uh, this area of decision-making. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I joke and say I have a checkered past. Um, I was a stockbroker long ago, wow. and it was a job I absolutely hated. It was horrible for many reasons, but there was one thing I liked about my job, and that was my clients. I enjoyed mm. talking to them. I enjoyed the satisfaction of watching them make really good decisions and grow their uh, to grow their assets and be able to provide for their families or do whatever they wanted to do. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I was completely haunted by some of the horrible decisions people made with their money that yeah. cost them money. It cost them their pride. It made their spouse angry. You know, go down the list. And so I began studying decision science on my own. I would go to a bookstore once or twice a week, hang out for about an hour, drink a lot of coffee, and I would read the books on decision science and economics and business. And that didn't really satisfy me. The idea that man, we'll use man generically, is a rational actor and will always do what's in his or her best interest Mm -hmm. is wrong. And that made no sense to me. So then I would go to the psychology section. I go, what's What's going on here? What is and yeah. and I remember standing in the bookstore thinking, don't the psychologists and the economists know that what they do has something to do with what the other one does? And yeah. you know, yeah. later I discovered Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky 
mm-hmm. and uh, Richard Thaler at the University of Chicago. But by then, I'd quit my job and go back to school. So I went. I'll fast forward. Yeah. I had to go finish my undergrad degree first because I had dropped out. And I did that. And then I went to graduate school at Georgia State and got a Ph.D. in clinical psych, all the while trying to figure out how do I take what I know to help people in business or maybe I'll help people with their personal finances. I didn't know. So I flipped out of grad school, never saw another therapy patient again to this day. Uh And I joined a consulting firm. And Mm -hmm. lo and behold, few years, 12 years into that career, I went out on my own. And one day, I was with a client that I was working on um, an acquisition. They, they'd made an acquisition for about, I don't know, six or eight hundred million, I can't remember. And it was in the ditch. It was about to burst into flames. I was helping wow. him and he said, you know what you are? And I thought, huh, I'm I don't really like the way that sounds, but I said, I, what, what do you mean? What do you mean, Joe? Yeah, and he said, yeah. you're the, he said, you're the decision doctor. You uh, help us make the most consequential decisions. And so that's where the name came from, and then later really? I trademarked the phrase so uh-huh. that it's, um, it's mine now. Yeah. But I love working with leaders. I also like you know, friends and I talk about decisions they have to make. And I like helping people see what they're not seeing. Yeah. Sometimes help them see options that they're not considering. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's the favorite thing yeah. in my work. Well, yes, well, thank you for sharing that. One Something you just sure. said really, really uh, resonated with me. Just, um, I yeah. think we, we went down a similar path because uh, I didn't take, um, real formal courses in decision making, but very similar uh-huh. to you, I uh, did a lot of reading trying to understand how. I think I, I went at it at how do you make just good decisions? What is it? And that some people mm-hmm. seem really good at it and others aren't good at it. Um, and then over mm-hmm. time, just started to apply them. And there were a lot of uh, books that I came across. Uh, one, that I uh, that actually falls more in the, the negotiation category than than decision making, but negotiation is a kind of decision making process. Um, but um, I, I never will forget. I was in a grocery store, and this was when they used to sell these um, the Dover Penguin books. Remember the little they, they were little pocket oh, yeah. books, um, sure. and uh, they would be in the the checkout lane, right? And so I saw this book once, and it was called. Uh, you can negotiate anything. And mm-hmm. um, I, I picked it up just while before waiting to go check out, and I was just like, there's really a, a pattern here uh, between this and other things that I've been reading uh, that made so much more sense about that it was that human beings um, make decisions uh, in a variety of ways, and they aren't always rational decisions. Um, that, that they, I mean, even even on the side of people who, in this case, the, who are, who are selling, uh, sometimes just make decisions that have nothing to do with making money. That it's sometimes it's just the the thrill of the sale or what have you. So I that really resonated with me 
mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. about that that component. Um, so the decision doctor, I, I also mm-hmm. had a lot of uh, experience with people calling and saying, "Hey, can you help me with something?" Um, mm-hmm. And and so um, you mentioned, in fact, part of what you talk about is how to help people get unstuck when making decisions. Oh, Tell yeah. Me by, uh, what does it look like when someone's stuck trying to make a decision? Yeah. So so one of the ways you know that you're stuck, whether you're in business or in your personal life, is if you're dealing with the same issue over and over or if you're, let's say, you and your business partner are trying to figure out uh, you know, what, what's the next uh, 18 months in your business going to look like, ideally? You know, what, what's, your, what's the objective? And every time you try to talk about it, the same sort of thing evolves. And you go round and round the same mulberry bush, right? You kick up a lot of dust. You get really mm-hmm. upset mm-hmm. with each other. But you don't get resolved. You are well and truly stuck. Mm-hmm. And because I'm a clinician... I have experience as a therapist, and you see this with couples where they come in and say, blah, 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 whatever it is, and they're having the same fight dressed up in different costumes <laughs> over and over and over, but, the, but yeah. thematically they're having the same, uh, right. the same yeah. fight. And so that is if you are experiencing Groundhog's Day <laughs> – <laughs> when you're having a disagreement or you're trying to make a consequential decision, then you're probably stuck. It is the yeah. most common diagnosis that I have in my head. Someone calls me and they say, blah, 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 I got your name from this person, you know, can we talk? And oftentimes I find that whatever the issue is they're dealing with, there's some amount of being of stuckedness that yes. they're stuck yes. in some way they might be stuck in a belief like oh we only hire people with mbas from kellogg mm-hmm. okay well so but you're having trouble hiring enough people yeah but we can't yeah but but we have to do it this way right. you know, right. we've always done it that way that so um you know one of the ways i help people get unstuck is by to help them not focus on the interpersonal issues. Mm-hmm. What people do that keeps them stuck for a really long time is they decide when there's a difficulty. It doesn't have to be a crisis, just a difficulty, sort of like the pebble in your shoe thing. And yeah. they say, well, it's because, you know, Susie is too tactical or Susie has a personality disorder, or Susie, whatever happens to be, sorry to pick on a woman here. Mm-hmm. And what I help them understand is that context is everything. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. If, if you don't have alignment, and this is why leadership is so important, if you don't have alignment about what are we trying to do here, who's doing what, and what are our agreed-upon processes, if you don't have that, then a lot of things will look like individual or personality problems that aren't. They're artifacts of a context that needs some fixing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what I tell my clients is if you get those three things, if you get what are we doing here, who's doing what, how are we doing it, if you get that right, not perfectly, it doesn't have to be perfect, but you get it like 90%, you're pretty good. 
then the the personal issues and the people that you think are just too odd <laughs> to be in your company, a lot of that will dissolve. Yes. It'll just yes. go away. But the few people that are left that are truly outliers, now you know you need to move them out. Right. But right. you'll make fewer mistakes. You'll fire fewer of the wrong people if you mm-hmm. do it that way. But what a lot of leaders are tempted to do is they fire people because they're irritating. That guy right. irritates me. Well, maybe that guy is in the wrong role. I mean, I don't know. The uh-huh. leader could be right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's. Well, I, but I, I personally like working on stuck things. I don't know yeah. why my brother's an industrial engineer. Maybe I got some of that. I don't know. <laughs> well, you, let me tell you, I, I often get uh, phone calls too from people, and often it is that they they recognize that something now isn't going well, or that they 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 can't fix it or they need someone's right. help. And I right. find myself saying, why didn't you call me earlier? I could have helped you make a better decision. <laughs> so you're trying to, you're right. trying to, you're calling me to ask me to undo the bad decision. Exactly. My question to you is, yes. so just like when people know when they're stuck or sometimes they, they, they think they're stuck, but do you think a number of people know when they're going down the path of a bad decision and just keep driving? No, I, I don't think they do know. And right. it, and I want to be clear here. We are not talking about people that are intelligent. We're not talking right. about – we're talking about smart, experienced, successful people who have various kinds of blinders on because they're human, Yes. And so it, it's very helpful for leaders to understand that mistakes are made out of humanness just mm-hmm. as often as they're made out of malice and are probably a whole lot more than being that, – that's helpful to sort of, sort of calm. But I wanted to go back to your comment about yeah. feeling like, why didn't you call me, you know, sooner – what we have found, uh, what the literature finds is that there's a reason why marriage counseling fails so often. Mm. Now, why do we think that is? Because people wait so long to ask for help. And mm. by the time they show up in the therapist's office, and I can tell you this because I did marital counseling when I was a resident 20-some years ago, that mm-hmm. oftentimes one party or both have already called a lawyer. Mm. It's a little late. Yeah. Everybody's mad. They're dug in. They've told their parents. They've told their best friend, I'm going to leave him. I'm going to leave her. And it's the same sort of thing that happens in business where people commit to a course of action and then they don't want to back up yes. because yeah. to back because to back up could mean all kinds of things, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. What will people say? I mean, you said you were going to do this. And so it, it gets at the at the notion from behavioral economics of loss aversion. Yeah. I've already committed so much to this course of action. So if I back up, it, it, it must mean I'm not very smart. Yeah, yeah. And, and what are you finding is – if, if there is a pattern, 
uh, when, when let's say, boards or even executives go down a path and there have been mistakes that they need to recover from, is there a pattern that exists about how you recover from that? Uh, and, I, and I'm speaking spe- not specific to so much the, the actual of the, the uh, mistake itself, but a organizational process. Is there some kind of organizational process that seems to be a pattern that you have to go through in order to recover from a strategic mistake? Well, I'll, I'll describe, you know, the two common ways. What, the most common way is that the first thing that happens is denial. It, it, oh, that can't be happening. Are you, mm-hmm. uh, what, do you, what, do you what do you mean the, uh, there's a problem with the ignition switches? I mean, what? Nope. Oh, you know, there could be cover-up. Now, why do people do that? They're afraid. They don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to be accused of something. And this is why leadership is so important. The leader has to create the kind of environment and culture where when mistakes happen, people can bring them into the light of day so they can mm-hmm. be resolved. A better way to do it is what Frank Blake did at the Home Depot several years ago when he was the CEO. They had an intrusion on their computer systems and customer credit card information was stolen. So what did Frank do? He did the opposite of what the common response is. He immediately said, okay, we have a problem. Here's what we're going to do. And he immediately went public and said, yes, the rumors are true. We had this, I'm paraphrasing here. This isn't literally what Frank Blake said. He's, he was much more articulate than this. But the mm-hmm. message was, we know, we're sorry. He didn't blame anybody. He didn't fire his head of IT. And he said, here's what we're going to do, and we promise you none of our customers will be harmed. Then he followed that up with a full-page uh, ad, and I think it was in the Atlanta Journal. I don't remember where it was. But he said, you know, once again, he said, we're sorry. This is what we're doing. And he gave information. He never hid. He never denied. He never blamed. He took full responsibility. And honestly, it just calms people down mm-hmm. so beautifully. And the other thing he did was – Instead of firing his chief information officer, he looked around and he said, I don't think they have enough support. He added support in that function to beef it up, which is, so this is an example of looking for cause, not blame. Mm -hmm. But a lot of us, and I've done this myself many times, is something goes wrong and the knee-jerk reaction is, whose fault is it? Right, right. Their heads, you know, mm-hmm. and so the decision, the decision process that leaders engage in themselves, is what teaches other people how they should do it. And this, mm-hmm. it's more important that the leader behave that way, than that everybody memorizes a decision-making process checklist. Mm, it's much more important because. You send people to training like, well, here's how we make decisions and here's your checklist. And then they see the SVPs and the EVPs and people making decisions based on their personal needs or gain or whatever. It's all out the window. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense. 
So listen, I want to pivot. I know we we're 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 cooking here, and and time is going we are. by. <laughs> I want, I, you know, so you had a book come out earlier this year, and yep. uh, it, so I want to start with it's it's entitled Meta Leadership: How to See yep. What Others Don't and Make Great Decisions. So before we go into some of uh-huh. the uh, kind of uh, get people hooked and go out and order this book. Tell me first, what do you, how do you describe meta-leadership? What is that? Meta-leadership is a way, it's, it's a paradigm. Again, I'm <laughs> going to sound like I'm very anti-checklist, which isn't true. <laughs> it's a paradigm. It's a way of thinking that mm-hmm. allows leaders to um, incorporate a more nuanced way of seeing what is and making decisions, but it's not complicated. When you say nuanced, people hear, oh, God, I'm going to have to slow down and pay attention. And Yeah, you do, but there's kind of a simple way to do it. And so in the book, I describe this paradigm, which has three parts. It's so simple. It's cognition or thinking, metacognition, thinking about your thinking, It's emotion. How does emotion affect decisions? And guess what? The neuroscience that we know says that there ain't no such thing as an emotion-free decision. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean you let emotion sit in the driver's seat with its little foot on the accelerator, but it does mean that it's present and it's better to acknowledge it. And then the third is, what are the behaviors we typically engage in? What are the habits of behavior and what are the habits of behavior we share? You get a large enough group of people together with shared behaviors, that's called organizational culture. So those three things, and I've been teaching this to my clients for a while now, they they say, well, how do I check myself? I say, well, ask yourself, how are you thinking about this? Not what, how. Ask yourself, what are the emotional forces? What's impinging on you? Whose agenda is pressing on you? What is it that you're trying to do? And just, you know, you can use your brain to think about your emotions. You don't have to just go crazy. And then finally, what is it that you would typically do? And is that suitable now? Yes or no? Right. Right. Well, I mean, what you've just said, particularly about the emotional aspect of how decisions are made is is where we start talking about decision making with helping leaders and aspiring leaders uh, to know who they are. What are the things that trigger you that make you respond a certain way? Because sometimes you can make decisions, just as you mentioned, that are about you know, let's let's get rid of a, a person because that's been your experience. I often say that we are fighting mm-hmm. against everything we've already experienced, even though we know it's bad. It's in our heads, and so we we are in a lot of ways destined to repeat it because it's our model, and that's how the brain works. Mm-hmm. We we're we're this is this is what happened the last time we saw a leader. Uh, get upset, or the last time this happened uh, uh, on on a television show, the the person screamed out, "You're fired." So what? Mm-hmm. what right, right. Response, right. What should my response be? And often it mm-hmm. is about that initial emotional response, but we we make sure people are able 
to pause and and think about and and that piece resonates with me too think about it before you make a decision but also mm-hmm. and this is the other thing i'd love to hear about from from your perspective about seeing things that others don't um mm-hmm. i I'm, I'm guessing that you're not talking about some magic crystal ball but what you are <laughs> no. talking about is a process by which you consider things that people usually don't, right? Is it is it that right. there, there's a whole right. process that you have that I'm sure you probably lay out, but but that there's a process that you can go through and you can almost automate as you get ready to make decisions that make you more effective at decision making. Well, you can automate it at the conceptual level, but as yeah. far as I know, it's very difficult to automate it in specific scenarios mm-hmm. and then prescribe that. And, you know, because you're an educator, that's called overgeneralizing. Mm-hmm. And yes. overgeneralizing is a mistake we make that, you know, we see, we, we see something on a TV show and there's a little, little tiny piece in one of the scenes that triggers a memory often outside of our awareness. And then we say, oh, well, when this happens, that other thing always happens. Right. Really? Not <laughs> the world right. and human beings are too complicated for that. But what you can automate is that you can ask yourself a few questions. And that's so you can ask yourself. Yeah, that's precisely yeah. what so, I'm speaking of. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so let me give an example of uh, – uh, a client that did a did an acquisition. Um, it was um, a little over a billion dollars, and the person in charge of making the acquisition work uh, was paired with me. The, so the CFO said to him, "You're going to work with her. She's going to help you." And he said to me, "You help him." That was all we got. That was all <laughs> the instruction we got, and the two of us had never met. Right, so this was yeah. kind of hilarious, but um, but what I and by the way, I'll fast forward. Two years later, that acquisition was merged with another part of the acquiring company to form a brand new company, and they smashed through all the projections on the investment thesis. Wildly successful. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not taking credit for that, although I did mm-hmm. advise the leader. But what he did that was so brilliant, and it probably is one of the reasons I'm ta- I talk about this now, is that he asked himself questions like, what is it that we don't know about this company that we just acquired that we need to know? Mm-hmm. How am I going to find out those things without being, you know, prosecutorial? Um you know, what is, um, you know, how accurate are the assessments of the sitting founder slash president about the executive talent in this organization? And so he and I would sit around and talk about all the things that he didn't know that he thought he needed to know. And then he came to rely on me to say, oh, wait a second, uh-uh. Nope, over here. Take a look at and so we worked together for two years. Mm-hmm. Um and it was such a now, they made a good deal. Their strategy was bang on correct. They had good analysis from a big consulting firm. But the big consulting firm 
wanted to do the, quote, integration. But they had a very generic process. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the CFO of the company and the president had the good sense to say, eh-eh, we need more nuance. Mm-hmm. And the leader that I had the joy to work with, who I'm still friends with, was exquisitely good at putting things together. One of the, I'll give your listeners a, a thing he did, he does to this day, is when he takes on a new organization, he's often asked to fix things, um, and he's good at it. Uh, but when he gets a new location or a new company or a new whatever, what he does is when he goes to work in that facility, every time he goes, he enters through a different door. Mm. And he walks around, and he never passes people without speaking to them. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. he's on his way to his office, so he's sort of winding around. And he doesn't, he doesn't stop with just the, oh, how you doing? How was your weekend? You know, while he's walking away from them, he's talking to them. No, he stops. And he talks to people, and he's a beloved and and trusted leader. So when he needs to issue an edict, which he does extremely rarely, but when he does, people believe that he knows what the right thing to do is. They trust his decisions because they have experienced him learning, doing something that I call learning in public, which is a priceless thing for a leader to do. Show people you don't know everything. Let people three layers below you teach you something you didn't know. Thank yes. them for it. Yeah. What a model. You Absolutely. Know? It's so good. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And and but what you what you just said really uh, makes a lot of sense in terms of them being able to believe that you're making a decision that's in the best interest of everyone. You've considered uh, a lot of yes. a lot of the time people. Uh, don't buy into decisions because they don't have the confidence that it's in their That's interest. Right. And, and That's that, right. Yeah. That's right. Or they think, oh, that guy's from corporate. He or she, they don't really know what goes they on here. They just fly in occasionally and sort of ruffle all our feathers, you know, and then yeah. leave. And he, so what he's doing is what I like to call, I tell people this a lot, be an explorer in your own territory. Yeah. Don't yeah. be on autopilot. And really, probably the theme of the whole book, Meta Leadership, is don't make your decisions on autopilot. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you so much. So the book we're talking about, those of you who just joined us or joined us late, we're talking about uh, Meta Leadership, How to See What Others Don't and Make Great Decisions. Uh, came out mm-hmm. uh, earlier this year in April, and the mm-hmm. author is the decision doctor who's with us, been with us, uh, Constance uh, Derricks. And um, so, Constance, it, it's been such a pleasure. We're already, I told you it was going to go fast. We're already. It always time. does. Yeah. Yes. So please tell the audience um, how to reach you, follow you, support you, and and certainly see what you're writing next. So um, any social media handles, yeah. email addresses, or anything you'd like to yeah. share, please do. Well, my, uh, I'm active on LinkedIn. Um, people can read articles I write for Forbes and Fast Company and Harvard Business Review. Um, that's one way to stay in touch with me. 
And my website is myname.com, and in your notes you'll have my name spelled because nobody can remember it. Uh, You really have to see it. Uh, The good news is if you Google that name, you get me. But I have a self-assessment for anyone uh, interested in asking themselves a series of questions around these dimensions of meta-leadership. It's a completely free self-assessment. You just go to my website, and there will be one of those pop-ups that say, would you like this? And um, it's completely free, and I will not be hounding you if you request it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thank you <laughs> so much. Well, listen, it's such a pleasure talking to you, and I appreciate Thank you coming you. on again. And um, I, don't be surprised. I'm going to have to take you up on at least maybe a, a guest. If you, can't, if you can't teach a whole class, maybe we can – get together and do a guest lecture or two. So um, you've really uh, I would added, love it. Yeah, you've really added to me today, and I'm sure so many others that have listened in. And so until we speak again, go well, stay well. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. It's been a pleasure.